This is probably going to be very sloppy, very uncoordinated, and more deserving of a place in your local Waffle House parking lot. <laughs> Welcome into Tapping Vegas. This is one of the most profitable MMA shows out there. Bobby, how are you feeling about last week, man? Feeling good. Suffering from success, whining and complaining about being profitable from last week. But, you know, that's that's what separates us from your other MMA content creators is even though we've had so many of these consecutive months of profit, moving units going up week after week, you know, so far I haven't had a losing week on this show since its inception. We still always strive to do even better for you. And so, you know, when we go two and two, we want to go three and two. We always want to do better. We always want to look for big plays. And I feel like, you know, the GM report and myself, yeah, we've been doing great. We've been doing profitable, but it feels like we're really due for some huge hits, some huge home runs coming up. You know, it's nice to have a base here or a base there, but our home runs coming up soon. And it's, going to be a grand slam so we want to ensure that we get that for you guys we care about your bets we care about your information and where it comes from and so we're always trying to look for that home run that grand slam for you even though we're already giving you what other content creators don't which is profit and we had a couple grand slams i mean like a plus just crazy numbers if you go back to our first couple episodes uh the haymakers do it was so close to hitting last week um, I'm ready to get into this card, dude. I'm I'm freaking jacked. Are you ready? Dude, I'm ready. We're we're due, man. We've hit on some good ones like the Andrash KO at the beginning. Uh, and then like you said, come very close, but we're due, and it could be this card that we're due. Absolutely, guys. Join the ride. The first fight we're gonna talk about is Zach Pauga versus Bogdan Guskov. Pauga, I was not impressed when I was watching his tape. Low hands. Poor sub work when he's working for it. I just don't like what I'm seeing out of him. Slow feet. I mean, his movement, I feel like he's walking in sand when he's in the ring. Uh, decent wrestling. Not great. Uh, he can strike from the clinch. I think that's where he does his best work is from the clinch. Look at Guskov on the other side. I'm seeing knockout power. Um, poor striking takedown defense. So I'm worried that if Pauga, he's got that decent wrestling, if he's going to take this uh, to the mat, Guskov might have a problem here. Um, he, he comes forward. He's forward attack only. He's not really one of those guys that has great movement in the cage. I, I worry a little bit about Pauga getting to him, but I just think Guskov's too overwhelming. Um, Guskov, the alopecia creepa. Um, <laughs> I, I see yeah. I see Guskov getting the knockout here. Knockout's at plus 140. He's already the underdog at plus 102. So I'm just going to take Guskov on the money line just in case anything crazy happens. I just was not impressed with Pauga at all. And Guskov, once again, neither of these guys are our championship caliber guys. These guys are both just, they're card fillers if we're being honest. Uh, no disrespect to either of them. But I like Guskov here. Who are you leaning with, Bobby? I can't really disagree with you, even though I've been burned by Bogdan Guskov before in his debut. I was watching his fight live when he started in the UFC against Volkan Ozdemir, and I was just kind of blown away by the hype this guy was getting from the commentary booth at the time. And he looks like what you would think you have in your mind when you think of like a stereotypical Central Asian, Eastern European, you know, that part of the world. MMA fighter. He looks physically like an imposing, intimidating, you know, like the GM report said, bald, you know, hairless, <laughs> you know, henchman hired to play thug number three in like a James Bond movie or something yes. with a thick accent. Yes. So you just look at this guy and you think he's going to kick ass. And I watched him get choked out in round one by Volkan Uzdemir. Volkan Uzdemir is not a grappler. Volkan Uzdemir would love to try and strike with you as much as possible. And watching his fight with Bogdan Guskov live, Guskov did, to his credit, try to keep the fight standing where I thought he would have the advantage, but he couldn't even take advantage of that perceived skill edge over Uzdemir. He looked slow. He looked gassed after like one minute of round one. He looked clumsy. Just everything about it just 
was not a guy that I saw deserving of all the hype I was hearing before he walked out and got in the cage, I guess you could say. And it really just let me down. And it really disappointed me that I had high hopes for how this guy came out looking physically intimidating, being hyped up by everybody, you know, on commentary, like touted as the next big thing in the light heavyweight division, which is in desperate need of new blood at this point. I was excited to potentially see it and I didn't. And I was very disappointed. My disappointment was immeasurable. My day was ruined. <laughs> but even in light of all that, Zach Pogwa is not exactly the horse I'm willing to hitch on to either because this is uh, – I've said it before. This is kind of my giant douche turd sandwich fight <laughs> where I don't really care either way about these two people. And I honestly, like Ben said, don't see their careers lasting very long. But all that to say, if I have to choose between the two – I'm going Guskov also, and I agree. I do like the money line. That's a nice, safe bet since he's already an underdog. But uh, let's not exactly expect any fireworks here. Uh, just be warned, this is probably going to be very sloppy, very uncoordinated, and more deserving of a place in your local Waffle House parking lot. <laughs> that might be where uh, Guskov Pauga 2 is. Yeah, both guys. Actually, you know what? I need to be more inclusive and understanding of their cultures. We need to elevate them from Waffle House, uh, like your local ethnic food market. <laughs> okay, I like it, dude. In the parking lot. Now, I have no clue about this next fight, so I'm going to let you start this one. All right, next up we have Michael Johnson versus Darius Flowers. Now, this is a very interesting fight to me because – Fans out there know Michael Johnson, legend of the sport, veteran, very long career, very long history with the UFC resume. He's fought a who's who of the UFC, Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier, all these big name guys in the sport. You name them, he's fought a lot of them. And he is, to me, Michael Johnson, the true enigma of MMA. He is like the most interesting man in the world in MMA because he can go from knocking Dustin Poirier on his ass in like round one and beating Tony Ferguson before, you know, Tony Ferguson went on a five fight losing streak. Pretty much he was like a, a hipster. He beat Tony before it was cool type thing. <laughs> managed to do that. Managed to like pulverize Dustin Poirier. Just guys that you think he has no business holding wins over he does and i'm looking it up now to further drive home the point because those are the like main people that stick out that he has wins over in my head but he's got it over even more people that you don't think he should have he just shouldn't have beat them like the legend artem lobov all right i'm joking about artem lobov that's kind of a meme but andre feely guy we're going to be talking about later that's a respectable name edson barboza he beat Edson Barboza before it was cool. Melvin Gillard, Gleason Tebow before Tebow was washed up. Joe Lozon, he's beaten Joe Lozon, another legend of the sport. I've already said Tony Ferguson. But then he also has losses that you wonder how he lost. For example, how the hell do you lose to Darren the Damage Elkins with the worst tattoo in MMA history? How do you lose a fight he was winning because I remember watching this live He's known for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. That's what Michael Johnson is. Because he started a skid where against guys like Stevie Ray, he was winning until he wasn't. <coughs> Even against Josh Emmett, he was winning until he got knocked out. And then ever since then, maybe the miles have caught up, maybe the age, et cetera, et cetera, have caught up to the guy. But he really is when you say he's capable of beating anybody on any given night. He truly is, because he's also lost to elite guys like Gaethje, like Habib, like Nate Diaz, like Benil Dariush. But then he also just has those head scratchers, like the Tiago Moises and the Stevie Rays and the Clay Guida in 2021. You shouldn't be losing to Clay Guida. All that to say, for you know the decline that Michael Johnson unfortunately has started to suffer at this late stage of his career, which it's about time. He's 37, and he has had so many fights and so much damage, et cetera. 
it's it's not unusual for him to be declining and you know has been in this state for the past five years. I'm not really too concerned about it. But all that to say, being in that state of decline for the past four or five years, he's still not as bad as Darius Flowers on his worst day. Darius Flowers should not even be in the UFC. I know Michael Johnson is not good anymore, and he's well past his prime and his days of beating the Poirier's, Barboza's, Tony Ferguson's of the world are long gone. And he is good at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, but I would seriously be concerned if he manages to lose to Darius Flowers. I feel like the UFC has put him, hopefully, in a good spot to win this fight and ride off into the sunset on a high note. He's talked about retiring for a few years now. He's been discouraged. He's been demotivated by the struggles he's faced. I get it. Understandable. Every good thing has to come to an end, but I really think he's been set up for a good final uh, farewell here. They're trying to do him a favor and get him that last W. And I'm even going to say on this one, since Michael Johnson is actually the favorite on the money line at a minus 142 to Flowers plus 120, I do actually like Michael Johnson by KOTKO here at plus 140. That is a pretty good value to kind of recoup on the money line since he's the favorite because he's not going to win by sub. The man hates grappling. He tries to never grapple. The last thing he wants to do is grapple in any way. Grapplers are his kryptonite. So plus 1,400 is tantalizing but not realistic. And, yeah, it could always go decision, decision safe, but Flowers is just so bad. I cannot state enough how bad Flowers is. And his last fight with Jake Matthews did nothing to alleviate that fear. I think if anybody can knock out or just absolutely wreck Flowers and ride off into the sunset, it's Michael Johnson. And plus 140 KO, TKO, I'm calling it there. What do you think, Ben? Bobby, you kind of <laughs> you set it up perfectly. Dude, this is the knuck if you buck fight of the night. I, I don't disagree, Nuck if you buck, baby. <laughs> Between these two, Michael Johnson used to wrestle a lot more as his career kind of went on. He kind of stopped wrestling, relied more on his striking, which we see with fighters that have success. You know, you get a couple knockouts, you're going to want to kind of stick to what's working. Uh, Michael Johnson, good striker, very accurate striker. He's got um, bad takedown defense, but I don't think he's going to really have to worry about that with Flowers. Um, like you said, he's he's past his prime, and he's got a lot of wear and tear, 21 and 19. That's a lot of fights. Uh, I did see a, a funny video, uh, like a highlight video of Michael Johnson, and it was the uh, Forrest Gump opening, or the one scene. He, he said, uh, Michael Johnson's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, yeah. Darius Flowers, I think he's got okay striking, but if you take him down at all, this dude is horrible on his back. Absolutely terrible. He's got low hands, so he's just begging to get knocked out, which gives some credit to your uh, knockout theory as well, Bobby. Um, digs for hooks and looks to strike there. It's it's hard to dig hooks in UFC because these guys, they can punch you, they can kick you. Uh, it's not like wrestling where you can just go in, dig a hook, and then work from there. Like You're going to have to get close for that. 100%. Dude's open to counters, and he gets just gets so lazy when he's gassed and I think he's got a poor gas tank when this dude strikes I mean he'll he'll throw it all the way over and leave himself open that entire time um and and I feel like the last fight when he got knocked out it felt almost like um you could have added the wasted from GTA over him (laughs) like the way he just limped on us I mean, it was it was kind of comical uh, as far as someone going night-night. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, Bobby. I'll take Michael Johnson. I don't feel great about either one of them, but the points you raised I think are just too good. Darius Flowers, I don't think he's got the gas tank to go three. So if you're not going to go decision, it's not going to be a submission. So I think no. Michael Johnson KO is the way to go. And he does have good boxing, and at least like – Yeah, maybe his hand speed declines with age. 
maybe like uh you know his power might decline with age but as good as michael johnson's boxing was from like a fundamental and technical standpoint those are like the last things to go like your uh like your your technique is like the last thing to go sure your athleticism goes fast it goes first your power maybe goes but like just your knowledge your skill like your fundamentals, those things are a lot harder to take away is what I'm getting at. So he still possesses those things. And I do still believe that he's not – I mean, it's not like he's 45 or something. I mean, obviously right. only Yo Romero can, you know, fight that late into his 40s. But he does still, I believe, have power. I believe two years ago he got a KO, TKO win, so not that long ago. The power is still there. I bet he still does have some of the hand speed. And like you said – Flowers serves it up on a platter with how terrible he is and how he drops his hands. And Michael Johnson, who wants to stand and box with you and does have those quick reflexes and that like good timing and that understanding of where to find your chin when you serve it up to him, like that's a recipe for disaster for Flowers. Absolutely is. Absolutely is, man. I'm really excited about this next fight. Can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. But we got Rodolfo Vieira versus Armin Petrosia. Rodolfo's the guy you don't want to meet in a dark alley. <laughs> I, no. say that. I think his abs have abs. Um, the dude is just a crazy Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, some of the stuff I was watching, and he's one of those guys that he's going to go out there and completely decimate you, and then he wants to like hug you and tap your head afterwards. Yeah. Incredible <laughs> sportsmanship. But if I get my ass kicked, I'm not trying to see or hear any of that. I ain't trying right. to be part of that. Man, give me some give me some space. Um he's good. His jujitsu is good. Um super strong. Great wrestling, great grappling. Uh sub seeker. I believe all of his uh wins have been finishes. Not a great striker and gases. And when I say gases, I want you to think like a JV heavyweight wrestler. Porky, hog, fat ass, double wide, butterball. That accidentally made it to the third because they just rolled around the whole time. How tired that kid is. That's throwing up his uncrustable. <laughs> how tired Rodolfo gets, dude. Uh, we saw, I forget who he was fighting. It was somebody off a of short notice. And after the first, dude was just done. He was just done, and they just took advantage of him. Um, that worries me against someone like Armin if they can last long enough. Because Armin, I think he, when I was watching him, he's got poor takedown defense, and I just feel like that is going to be such an edge in this fight. I just and Armin, I, I like Armin too. He just looks like one of those guys that's just a purebred MMA fighter. Um, I I call him a spider striker just because he can hit you with anything from anywhere. I think he's got good foot movement and leg kicks. I just, he's going to have to stay away from Vieira. And I think he's just too strong to keep away. And I don't think Petrosian is going to be able to, or Petrosian, however you pronounce it. I don't think he's going to be able to knock him out in the first. So he's going to have to hang around. Vieira's just like a bull in a cage, man. I'm going to take Rodolfo. Um, He's this is a very, very, very close line. The closest line of the ones we'll talk about. He's minus 115. I'm going to take the double finish because I could see it being a knockout and I could also see it being um, a sub, which sub is not a bad idea because that guy just loves going for his subs, being a G, uh, BJJ guy. Uh, that's at plus 140. And if you're looking at it from a betting standpoint, <clears throat> Rodolfo has 47% of the bets, so he's actually uh, the underdog in terms of betting percentage, but he's got 57% of the money. We're seeing that 10% and sharp money coming in on Rodolfo. Uh, what do you think, Bobby? Yeah, I agree with uh, Rodolfo Vieira on this one, but this is probably the toughest fight that I feel least confident in. I bring it up when I feel like the odds makers have it wrong. I also bring it up when I feel like they have it right. This is definitely one of those fights where I feel like it being as close as it is, is definitely merited. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll add that Hadolfo Vieira. So in MMA, you have guys that are glass cannons. You have guys that 
can knock anybody out, but they also lose a lot by knockout. Alistair Overeem is like the best example I can come up with off the top of my head. When he was on horse meat and steroids, dude was a nightmare for anybody, just brutally destroying everybody he could with KO, TKO finishes, running through the division. But then once they took away his horse meat, dude started getting flatlined. Francis Ngannou uppercutting his head into the stands comes to mind. We all know the uh, other stories of his lifeless body being displayed on TV. Unfortunately, there were a lot that occurred. Adolfo Vieira, where I'm going at with this, is a BJJ glass cannon. He is a guy who lives and dies by the sub. If he doesn't sub you, it's looking like since he made it into the UFC, he's going to get subbed. BJJ glass cannon, like Michael Chiesa is a BJJ glass cannon. He thinks he's really good at grappling, but if he can't sub you, you can sub him. So that's where my concern for Rodolfo Vieira comes into play, is that if he can't get the sub, like Ben said, issues like gassing, uh, just being kind of reckless, those type of things are going to lead to him getting subbed. What gives me optimism is, once again, Petrosian is going to be looking to stand. Okay. So we kind of have ourselves engaged in this age-old battle between the striker versus the grappler, which we've seen ad nauseum countless times throughout MMA, with the added caveat of, all right, we know Habib eventually get the takedown. Uh, who else is a really good grappler? Like, uh, you know, Habib, like Mark Coleman, like those guys, Chel Sonnen, they really try for the takedown. They'll give their all to get the takedown. Even if they do gas, they give it 100%. Adolfo doesn't really strike me as given 100%. And I was shocked when I looked up his record and his age to see that he's only 34 because he fights, moves, and gasses out like somebody way older. I seriously thought when I pulled up his page, he was going to be 40. In my head, for some reason, I thought he was going to be 40. And I thought that, you know, this is a guy who maybe if he would have gotten into MMA a few years earlier, would have actually made a splash, blah, 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 blah. But the dude's only 34. And he doesn't have that many MMA miles. Yeah, he's grappled a lot. But MMA fights, he doesn't have that many overall. So I don't get why he's why he has these issues. I mean, obviously, I can't really go into the myriad of reasons why somebody's cardio might suck, <laughs> might suck and why he's not improving it. But I think overall, this is kind of a safer fight for Hidalfo Vieira. If he was fighting another grappler, I'd be a lot more concerned uh, about the gassing and everything. I'm going to hold out hope and say that since Petrosian doesn't seem to be that great at getting the takedown himself, he doesn't go for the takedown, he doesn't seem to be as good defending takedowns, I'm going to hope Vieira can kind of seize momentum, come out on a strong note, get the fight down to the ground, and kind of hurry up and get the sub before he starts losing uh, his gas tank, which should always be his game plan if he's not going to improve his cardio for whatever reason, etc. So, yeah, <clears throat> I like Hidalfo Vieira. I like the sub since that's, a uh, once again, he's only went to decision one time since he's been in the UFC. His debut, he won by sub. He lost his uh, next fight by sub, won a fight by sub, had that decision lost to Chris Curtis, and then won his most recent fight April last year by sub. So he's only went to decision one time, has no other wins by other methods in the UFC, and his grappling is really good, and he's beaten uh, – he's beat, excuse me – Big names in the grappling world, like the Leite brothers, like Leo Leite, Lucas Leite, Rafael Lovato Jr., Benson Henderson's not a bad grappler. Like, these are pretty decent people that he's beaten in pure grappling uh, matches at, like, ADCC, like the pinnacle of grappling, IBG, excuse me, IBJJF championships. Like, he's beaten quality guys. It's just he falls victim to the whole problem of trying to get that grappling in the gi and at these pure grappling competitions, getting that to translate to MMA where there's striking and all these other facets. But overall, I think he can get it done. I like it by sub because if it goes to decision, I think he's going to lose. So that is, once again, the safe bet. 
But to kind of offset the money line, I like it by sub since it is a pretty decent plus. And if it does go to decision, I don't feel confident he would win because on the other side of that coin, Armin Petrosian, since he's been in the UFC, yeah, he got his contract off Dana White's contender series with the finish by TKOKO, but he's been a decisionator since then. So it definitely isn't going to go Vieira's way if it goes by decision. That's why I feel pretty good about sub for Vieira. What do you think? We talked about this with one of our fights the other day about betting Rodolfo Vieira and if it goes past the first, hedging and throwing some on uh, Petrosian money line. For this fight, I definitely wouldn't hate that because, yeah, as I've just mentioned to not repeat it, if it goes beyond the first, his chances start rapidly dwindling for Vieira. So, yeah, I wouldn't hate that to hedge because, yeah, sure, he could probably pull it off at the second, but, man, he just gasses so drastically. Like, some guys at least have two rounds in them. But that's why I thought he was so much older than he is, is because it's just so ridiculous. He doesn't even have a good poker face about being gassed. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't hate trying like a round one if you really want to hold out round two sub and then hedging it with decision. But I would try to I'd try to hedge it sooner rather than later. So, yeah, I would commit to like round one sub for Vieira, but then kind of help yourself out and uh have the rest on Petrosian by decision because the dude and, and I say that and I, th- I say it out loud and I think about it in my head and I'm like this would be when fucking Petrosian finally gets another finish for the first time since the contender series but it, it, we've talked about these guys before to cut it short I'll just say I don't think his power is translated in the UFC so far I, I kind of feel comfortable and I'll, I'll probably eat this on next week's episode but I don't think his power is really translated to the UFC like it did you know, on other promotions. So, yeah. Love to hear what you have to say about Ige and Feely. Yeah, this is a tough one. Dan Ige, Andre Feely. Uh, another tough fight to predict. Ige minus 175, Feely plus 145 on money line. This is a really good fight. I feel like this is another rare instance of good UFC matchmaking in the 145 pound division. Both of these guys are pretty uh, durable, made a name for themselves in this division for a few years now. Uh, unfortunately, once again, for both, though, they've kind of uh, stalled out. They're both, I feel like, kind of, they're kind of at where they're going to end. You know, it doesn't get much higher in the rankings and uh, things of that nature for them, unfortunately, as good as they are. They're not like, you know, championship material, but still fun fighters entertaining fighters i like both of these guys i'm a fan of both of their styles and everything uh i think primarily striking both guys like to stand they like to strike in exchange so i think that's how the fight's gonna play out uh ek's coming off a tough loss to bryce mitchell uh he lost by grappling just being thoroughly outclassed in the grappling uh beat nate landwehr last year by decision had a KO over Damon Jackson. So that's like his last three fights from last year uh, for Dan Ige. Uh, Andre Feely also has lost to Bryce Mitchell by being outclassed in the grappling. But his last fight, December last year, had a nice KO TKO over Lucas Almeida. Uh, Narrow lost to Nathaniel Wood July last year. A lot of people thought that was maybe some home cooking. Uh, I don't remember enough to be able to give you like a solid answer, but it was a close fight. I was surprised at how close it was and how Feely was able to kind of hold his own because I thought Wood was going to walk all, all over him. And then beat Bill Algio, that's not really saying much. Lost to Joe Anderson Brito, not really saying much. Disappointing, but whatever. Uh, tough fight, very tough fight, very even fight. I feel like the odds should be kind of closer to what Vieira – and uh, what's-his-face was. I feel like the odds should be a little bit closer to that. Instead, oh, Vieira Petrosian. I feel like the odds should kind of mirror that more so than the discrepancy. But as a result of there being that discrepancy, since this is kind of a pick to me, I, I kind of lean all things considered when so much between these two seems evenly matched. And like I said, an example of fair, good matchmaking. I'm wanting to ride with the underdog on this, which is Feely at plus 145 to minus 175 for Ige. So I think that's what I'm going to go with. 
just because I think Feely – I kind of think Feely's – for as long as he's been in the UFC, I feel like Ige is kind of uh, – he's hitting the wall a lot harder, I guess you could say. Like, yeah, they're both – even though Feely's only 33, the guy's had a lot of miles, a lot of wars, a lot of fights in the UFC. I think Ige is hitting the wall way harder than he is, though. Feely has still a little bit more left in the tank, I feel. And so based off that is what's wanted me to give him the edge. I also think that Feely is the more refined striker. Yes, they're both going to want to strike. They're both going to want to primarily box. But I feel like Feely has more fundamentals, more technique, um, more power even, that type of thing, which leads me to be pretty uh, optimistic. And other than Joe Anderson Brito, He's only really lost to like for a long time the the kind of elite of that division. Like uh Bryce Mitchell up until the Josh Emmett KO was like a shining star of that division. Sadiq Yusuf still really good. Michael Johnson. No shame in losing to Michael Johnson. Once again, he's capable of beating everybody. Uh Calvin Cater, really good guy. Yeah, Rodriguez, really good guy. Max Holloway. So he's only ever lost, other than that one fluke, to really elite guys, whereas Ige just seems to kind of like really have run out of steam quick, and that's what's concerning. Uh, I don't want to get too crazy and say that Feely could do KOTKO, even though it's at plus 600. It's tempting, but I feel like it's kind of bait. I think this would be a decision. I think both guys are just kind of going to go at it. And hopefully it'll be a war and it won't be boring. They'll kind of just stand, they'll trade, it'll be fun, it'll be entertaining, but nobody's going to get finished because they're both pretty tough, both pretty durable. So I like Feely by decision. Well, actually, you know what? I'll just take the money line on him since he's the underdog. I like him at plus 145. But if you're really just jonesing for a method, I feel like decision's pretty safe at plus 250. But since he's already given you a good return just on the money line, me, myself, personally, I'd put my money on him at plus 145, just money line for Feely. Absolutely great points, Bobby. Um, I see this fight very, very similar, both with a wrestling background um, that would that want to stand up and strike. Um, these guys, they really are like a, a copy and paste. Ige, heavy fist, good movement, compact. He's good in all three phases. Uh, balanced pressure wants to stay controlled and precise. Um, this dude does not want to have any like uh, those scrambles, and people are just starting to throw whatever they can. Uh, he's not about that. He likes slowing the fight down and being very uh, controlled with what he does. Feely, good striking and fakes, good wrestling clinches. Um, he's trending up also. So we just saw. Uh, he, I call it like a rebirth. Like he was talking after his last fight. Like this is the best I've felt in a long time. Like this is a new chapter in my career. Um, and, and you felt it. You really felt that he was starting to turn a corner. I'm going to go Ige for one reason. Do you know Feely, Feely's last fight was? Was that the, yeah, that was the Lucas Almeida where he had the TKO, right? That was the Edwards Covington fight that we just talked about just back in uh, December. Oh yeah, the card it was on, yeah. Yeah. So I mean he's fought very, very, very recently. That is the only thing that concerns me. Um I, he's gonna be in great shape. I think Ige um I believe Feely is filling in because Ige was um scheduled to fight somebody else and Feely stepped in for this. Yes. Fight. Yep, I, I didn't see who he is scheduled. I didn't look at that, but yeah, this is a this is a replacement fight. Yeah, so I, I think both guys are going to be in good shape. I have no concern about the gassing. Um, I just worry about how much how much the last fight took out of Feely and what he's going to look like in this one. It's very very close. I also had this as a decision. I think if anything. You, you just got to take decision either way. I don't think that it's going to be a KO or a sub. Uh, Ige decisions plus 165. I'm going to lean Ige, but, I mean, if you want to take money line, Feely is the play. Right, and I also like how you brought up a good point at uh, 
Feely seems more energized. He seems like, yeah, this late into his career, though, he still seems motivated. And that could just be, you know, we talk about fighter talk. Like, of course, every fighter is going to tell you weight cuts going great. This is the best they've ever felt, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's going to tell you they feel like shit and everything's horrible. I get it. But, yeah, I really believed him when he said that he does feel Mm re-energized. And it goes along with what I was saying of, Ige's hit the wall. I don't get that feeling from Ige. Ige could turn it around. He is still young enough, talented enough, et cetera. But if he doesn't have it and he's not saying it and expressing it outwardly, but Feely is, then that's a lot of proof uh, to me to kind of put my money on Feely for sure. That was a good point you made. Yeah, thank you, man. Now the fight of the night is Jack Hermanson versus Joe Pfeiffer. Be like Joe Pfeiffer. Um we're looking at Jack Hermanson. I'm going to say it. I'm sure you're going to say it too. He just feels like a gatekeeper at this point. Um, so many big names in that uh, that division. I just don't see Jack Hermanson really being a, a guy that can compete at this point. He wants to take top mount, but I'm not impressed with his wrestling. I'm really not impressed with his wrestling. He takes lots of unnecessary movement and, and punches that he's just punching the air. I, I want to say all this extra movement and stuff is going to gas him out quicker, but God, he has a decent gas tank. He really does have a decent gas tank. Um, still, I think all those movements are unnecessary and you can get caught um, with, with, with any of these fake punches. You're just leaving yourself open, very open to counters, especially in what I was just saying. He overextends. He takes these wild punches where he just tries to get you. And when he's reaching and you're, you're bending at the hips, your recoil is not going to be as fast. If you're, if you're staying back and you're throwing your punches forward, you're, you're still protecting yourself. When you overextend like that, man, you're, you're just asking for it. Uh, he's had great tests though. Like this guy's fought the best of the best. Delize, Strickland, Vittori. He's got wins over Curtis and Gastelum, which are big names. I wouldn't say they're great fighters. Um, but I, this dudes he he's battle-tested, so he's got that going for him. He's the ranked fighter. Joe Pfeiffer, a KO power, and possibly the best KO power in the entire UFC. One of the hardest hitters. He's got good foot movement. He's got that mentality that's like, I'm going to get that extra second of holding you <laughs> in a chokehold or take one more punch at you when you're on the ground just wants to inflict pain on people. Like that's just this dude. He wants to hurt you. Jack Romanson's like your buddy. Um, and this is a fight for Hermanson is going to, he's kind of Hermanson at this point. Piper, he has to win this fight. I mean, the, the hype train for Piper is just off the rails. Looking at this division, I don't know if he ever gets to the top. I don't see it personally with the names and people that are still coming up. But to continue this trajectory, he has to win this fight. If he loses to Hermanson, uh, that train stops really, really quick. Um, I'm curious to see what you think. So this is one of the fights that I felt bipolar about when it was first (laughs) announced. I went through the stage of this is an absolute slaughter. This is just putting Jack Hermanson out to pasture. But as I started doing my research and I started thinking about it in time past and all that good stuff, I'm like, man, this is really kind of tough once again. And maybe I'm just overthinking, overanalyzing, whatever you want to call it. But here are kind of my issues with this fight. So as you kind of alluded to earlier, When you look at who Jack Hermanson has fought and who he's lost to, you're like, oh, well, there's no shame in losing to those people. But I guess the stark contrast of who he's won, like in his last, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In his last seven, let's let's go eight because it's going to further prove the point. In his last eight fights, he's won three of those fights. And he's won against Chris Curtis. Edmund Shabazian and Kelvin Gastelum. I'm not going to go in on Kelvin Gastelum after the last betting show that we had Kelvin I Gastelum want to, I want the to fight on. That. I'm going to let the man walk. 
Jared Cannonier, no shame in losing to Jared Cannonier, especially getting knocked out in round round two. No shame in losing to Vittori. There is shame in losing to Shabazian in 2021. Shabazian, I get, was built up as like the great hype of that division, but it really didn't last that long. And by the time Hermanson met him in 2021, having a win over Shabazian, he had already been exposed. It's not really getting me going. Uh, the fight with Hamzat was just a wrestling match, so I included that, but that's my bad because it was just pure wrestling. Still stands that he got his butt kicked, though. Let's just say that. Lost to Sean Strickland. We get it. Chris Curtis, not an impressive win. Uh, just isn't. Roman Delizze losing to him. <laughs> I'm trying not to be a revisionist and, you know, react <laughs> to what happened so recently, but I'm starting to wonder if, you know, losing to Roman Delizze might be a bad sign. Once again, try not to read too much into what just happened last week, but, man, Delizze did not look good, and he got destroyed in round two by Delizze. But – I do like Joe Pfeiffer overall as like an actual fighter. I'm a fan of his. He has been intriguing to me. He has gotten my interest. I have been rooting for him since I've seen him on Contender Series. But here's where we start to run into issues. I try not to be a hipster. I try not to get mad when obscure things like Joe Pfeiffer I like turn into like a movement and whatnot. But Joe Pfeiffer is kind of like you find that nice little I don't know, burger spot, coffee spot, whatever little hole-in-the-wall thing you have to yourself that you really enjoy, that you're like, damn, I'd really like to share this with somebody, but I know as soon as I tell like a friend or a family member, this place is going to blow up, and it's going to lose what I like about it in the first place. That's kind of how I feel about Joe Pfeiffer. As soon as I started liking Joe Pfeiffer and following him, I'm starting to get concerned by how much hype he's getting, like, being on Joe Rogan and talking about how he's beaten the UFC's punching power uh, computation bullshit or whatever, and it's yeah. just giving me shades of Francis Ngannou hits like a Ford Escort bullshit. That's just driving me crazy and starting to get really off the rails to where I'm like you. You mentioned this. Is he going to live up to this hype? Because now it's reached these ridiculous levels just like it did with Francis Ngannou right before he got his ass handed to him in the first Stipe fight and was made to look human, right before he had a boring-ass 15-minute stare-off with Derek Lewis. And I really hope that's not the direction we're heading with with Joe Pfeiffer because 185 is another division in desperate need of somebody to break the monotony, to break the mold, and kind of step up and create some excitement and some new and interesting matchups. So I am optimistic about that. I'm just a little worried because when he first was on the Contender Series, I believe he's been on twice now, but at least one of those times, I know for a fact he got slammed uh, by Dustin Stolzflutes and lost because he got slammed because he broke his arm because uh, he braced the wrong way on the, on the ride down. Now – Jack Hermanson's not exactly a high-amplitude takedown guy. He's not really going to do much slamming, so that kind of makes me a little at ease in that regard. He's going to play it safe. He's a pretty boring guy, and there's nothing wrong with singles and doubles and you know trips and all that, and that's great, and I love it. But what I'm saying is he's not going to be putting Pfeiffer in these awkward, like, brute force, just powerbomb you know, using raw strength situations where he could potentially get his arm broken like he did against Stolz Flutes. He shouldn't be engaged in, you know, like those Daniel Cormier, you're about to fly on air DC type takedowns. That's not Hermanson's game. And Pfeiffer definitely has the decided striking advantage. So if Hermanson's smart and he's game plan accordingly, he's going to try to really force the takedowns. And that's the biggest issue I have with Pfeiffer is I don't really know too much about his ground game other than, like I said, the arm break situation. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how he's going to deal with a guy who, if he's smart and he's playing him properly, should know that his main way to win this fight is by any means necessary Malcolm X style getting it to the canvas. So I'm hoping his takedown defense will hold up. He'll be able to keep it standing. He'll recognize that, you know, him as Joe Pfeiffer has that striking advantage because Hermanson's garbage. 
garbage at striking at striking just absolutely terrible i can't say enough bad things about it and i hope i never see it striking again but anyway i'm hoping he recognizes it he definitely has the power his last fight was a sub win but that was against abdul razak al hassan who if he's still on the roster should not be that guy really made a career out of nothing and I can't stand that guy either, and I hope he's off the roster because he's dropped so many fights and been so brutally finished. He's a meme now, and he deserves it. But anyway, he got that arm triangle finish just because it presented itself, kind of like the Molly McCann-Belbita fight last week. He was beating the hell out of the guy on the feet, had his way with him, and just like in the last few you know, minutes, seconds, whatever, saw an easy out, and it was given to him, and he took it. Fair play to him. So I don't really think that's an indication he is some great grappler and he's just hiding it because his striking's better. I just think it was kind of an opportunity presents itself situation. So I'm going to be safe on this. Actually, no, I'm not, because if it does go to decision, that leads me to believe Hermanson's going to win. Uh, Joe Pfeiffer, I'm wondering how he's going to handle the potential for a 25-minute main event. I believe this is his first main event. I don't know that previously he's ever been prepared for and expected to potentially go a full five-minute, five rounds for 25 minutes of total fight. So that does actually make me concerned, as I say it out loud, that if this goes past probably the third, obviously you can comfortably comfortably make it to the third – because that's what he's accustomed to. But if it starts to go into fourth, fifth round territory, I start to get concerned about Pfeiffer. But overall, I like him because the money line's not great for Pfeiffer at minus 258. Hermanson's the favorite. I mean, the underdog at plus 210. So I'm not hating Pfeiffer by KOTKO at a plus 100. Hopefully it stays around there and it doesn't close in to where you're going to basically make no profit. I would not put money on him by sub. Once again, do not be fooled by the fact he won his last fight by sub. I don't think Pfeiffer's that type of guy. I watched that fight against Abdul Razak live. It just happened to present itself, and it was so easy he took it. I, I don't think it's a regular aspect of his game, so don't get, don't take the bait. And then decision, yeah, it's good odds at plus 650. But once again, I just don't see it if it lasts past the third going Pfeiffer's way with Hermanson. Uh, so I wouldn't want to put my money on decision. If I'm not going to be able to, you know, get some good profit off the money line and you're looking for a prop, that plus 100 for Pfeiffer by KOTKO is looking like your best to me. I agree. I'm, I'm on the the, the Pfeiffer uh, knockout side also. Um, <clears throat> looking at it, there's 2% of sharp money coming in on Pfeiffer, but that is because there's 93% of bets and 95% of the money. Pfeiffer is a big time favorite in this one. Uh, that that I saw interesting. This is set at uh, two and a half is the line. <clears throat> kind of feeling under two and a half. It's minus one sixty, but I think the way that we were talking, um, you think they get it done before two thirty in the third, Bobby? This fight has the most upset potential. I feel on the whole entire card. So yeah, I mean. Two and a half rounds is a good litmus test for this. Anything over two and a half, like I said, I'm starting to rapidly lose my faith in Joe Pfeiffer on this. Uh, Yeah, this is just such a tough fight because it's another age-old story in MMA. You know, the older gatekeeper guy gives way to the young, new, fresh blood, but uh, they call him gatekeeper for a reason. Sometimes they keep the gate. And we always obviously talk about instances where they don't and they allow the young challenger to move on. But I don't know. This, this is a tough one. This is very difficult. And like I said, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with the hype Pfeiffer is getting. But, yeah, two and a half is a good one. Anything over two and a half, I'm losing faith in Pfeiffer rapidly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad we're on the side. We were a little split last week. I'm glad we're on the same side this week. Uh, weeks that we're on the same side like that are usually very, very good weeks. Um, as far as Haymaker goes, what what caught your eye, Bobby? This this card was tough since overall there were a lot of uh, pretty even odds, pretty close odds, things of that nature. The, the thing that still sticks out to me the most is I'm most confident in, and it gives you 
a uh, pretty good uh, ROI uh, if you decide to go with it. I'm still a pretty good fan of that Michael Johnson KOTKO one. And let me double check that to make sure it's still how froggy I'm feeling with everything because <laughs> I was also eyeballing the Hadolfo Vieira. Uh, yeah, Hadolfo Vieira by sub is still a nice plus 165. Let me double check the Michael Johnson again to decide between those two because those are the two I'm, I'm battling between. Vieira sub at plus 165 or Johnson KOTKO at plus 140. And you know what? I think I'm going to go Michael Johnson KOTKO plus 140. I feel like that's that's your best uh your best intersection of likely to happen, most likely between those two and still gives you a really great value and some really good money uh on that investment. The only reason why I'm not committing to Vieira plus 165 is just those those gas tank concerns and just if he can't get it it's going to be ugly. Whereas Johnson and Flowers are both going to want to stand. They're both going to want to duke it out on the ground. Neither one's going to feel comfortable doing takedowns, and I just really give the edge to Michael Johnson. In, in a Primarily, once again, there's always the threat in MMA, but these two guys are going to make it a primarily striking affair. So, yeah, Michael Johnson plus 140 is the best one I've seen other than the Vieira sub based on these uh, pretty close odds on this card. So, yeah. Absolutely, man. And I will have some more plays on the website, uh, bettergreen.com. That's better, B-E-T-T-O-R, green.com. You guys can join and get access to the premium articles for just $1 a month. It's it's ridiculous. If you joined it, uh, those two plays, I think one almost three units. Uh, so, I mean, it pays for itself, like, instantly. Um and make sure you guys are following us on all of our social medias. Head over to Sharp so you guys can see what we're putting our money on so you guys can tail our plays. We're not just about uh, talking about it. We're about that action, too. And, Bobby, thanks for joining me again, man, and I'll see you in the next card. It's going to be a great one. Anytime. Yes, it will be. Thank you. No problem, man. Peace, guys. Peace. You better start listening to the Better and Green podcast. You will not regret it. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And, hey, I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Better Win Green, eh? To Better Win Green, eh? To Better Win Green, eh? Listen in and cash out. That's what it's all about. Come on, let's make cash now. We always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top, hey? Shout out to Ethan, shout out to Wyatt, shout out to Ben. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. Better Win Green.